are listening to the Devil's Talking Potters podcast for East Village Times. Coming to you from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication, here are your hosts, Dominic Stern and Bobby Murphy. Welcome to Devil's Talking Padres. Bobby Murphy, Dominic Stern here to talk about the latest Padres action and, of course, preview the upcoming series against Colorado Rockies. It was a disappointing two-game series with a really good final capper as the Padres demolished the Giants in the third and final game of the series. But I don't know. The The first two games were very frustrating to watch, to say the least. It was scoring in two innings out of the 18 and it was tough to watch, but then the boys bounced back and had a very good offensive day on Sunday. What what are your what are your thoughts at the beginning on, on this series? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the reverse of our last series where we played them. Last time we won the first two, they won the last one. This time was vice versa. I mean, Gossman, I mean, we'll get to him in a sec, but he was absolutely phenomenal for the third game for his the third time against us this season. He's been shutting us down and we just haven't been able to hit against him. But I mean, bats just were very quiet, of course. Uh, and I mean, the pitching, I mean, pitching wasn't phenomenal uh, besides on Sunday. But I mean, just it was it was a flu- I don't want to say fluke series. This is a good team. This is a good Giants team who has surprised a lot of people this year. Me as well. Uh, I did not expect them to be in first place right now. But I was really hoping that the Padres would take this series and get first place after the weekend, uh, which I know all Padres fans did. But tough series. Um, but I'm expecting big things as we go to Coors. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the Potters to take the series. Obviously, that was the goal coming in. Like you mentioned, they would have been in first place had they taken it. Unfortunately, they didn't. They were able to get one, which how the first two games went was certainly a victory. And just to we'll hop right into it, our, our past episodes have been running a little bit long, so we might as well just hop into it right now. Game one, Potters lost four to five. It's kind of a heartbreaker, especially the way that it ended on a really bad third strike call against Hassan Kim. I mean, we're just going to say how it is. Potters hitters, they uh, none of them put the ball in play that inning. They had a leadoff walk and then three straight strikeouts, and they all missed some pitches that they could have hit, to, to say the least. McGee didn't look that good, and I'm a big believer in Jake McGee. He was a guy that I would have liked to see the Potters have signed this past offseason. Of course, he went and signed with the Giants for a lot of money, so at the end, I was like, all right, fine. like Go get your bag, Jake. But a good reliever who wasn't very impressive and the Potters just couldn't hit him, but they fought back after allowing two runs in the third and two runs in the fifth, Blake Snell surrounded four and runs. He didn't record an out in the sixth inning, which he's only done in one start so far this year. And it was only one out, but in the sixth inning, they got back in the game with two, two run home runs, one off the bat of Trent Grisham and one off the bat of Eric Hosmer. And they weren't cheapy home runs either. They were hit to center field at night in Oracle park, which is not a cheap home run. Like I don't want to say the two giants home runs were cheap home runs, but 373 feet and 357 feet compared to the bombs that were over 400 feet. They all count the same unless they're depending on the runners on base. doesn't matter how far you hit it over the fence, but the Potters ones were much, they were much harder. And, but that was the only offense I got. And Keone Kella ended up surrendering a run and then got placed on the injured list. Cause he had to leave the game. Wasn't a great performance from him. I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts on this performance from the Padres? I mean, my, my biggest takeaway was, I mean, Blake Snell, who's been really struggling with his command. He walked six guys in four and two thirds innings, and he just did not look great with four and runs in those four and two thirds. Um, but I mean, I just keep thinking he'll be fine. He'll be fine. But he's really having trouble with his command. 
the start before he walked, I, th- I believe three guys or four, three guys, I think six walks in this start. He did not look good. Um, but the bullpen, I mean, of course, Kello did get the loss, but the bullpen for the rest of it looks solid. I mean, Adams only faced one guy. Stammen did his thing, struck out the side. Uh, Pierce Johnson came in, got a ba- had a base runner on, same with Chris Matt, but they were both able to get out of it. But, I mean, Kello, that really sucks. I like Kello. He's been okay this year. His ERA numbers are not looking good. But as a reliever, I mean, that's what happens when you don't – when you only pitch one in a game. But – I mean, that really sucked after the Padres hit two two-run home runs in the sixth inning with Grisham and Hosmer to tie the game. And then Kelly coming in, bottom seven, and blowing it with a home run to Slater, which went 357 feet, as you mentioned, the short home runs. It doesn't matter how short they are as long as they get out, uh, like that point. But, I mean, the bats just weren't on. We, like you said, all runs in the sixth inning right here. Um, but, I mean, Myers struggled 0 for 4. Tatis really struggled. Hosmer had a good game, but... I mean, it's just it was a all around struggle by the lineup. I'll beat that six inning, and then just the pitching staff um, for most of five runs. I mean, never want to see that. But Blake Snell really struggled, and I'm starting to, get, to now get concerned with him. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up because I mean, we talked about it uh, when the Potters acquired him. We've talked about it so far this season. He doesn't work deep in the ball games. He gives you quality innings. I mean, that's just what Blake Snell does. That's why the Rays loved him because he could give them five innings of one, maybe two run ball at worst. Then you hand the ball over to the bullpen. That's not something that the putters want. And for the putters who have had a very taxed bullpen so far to start this year, it's been in large part because guys like Blake Snell haven't worked deep in the ball games. And it happened again, but this was really the first time. And I guess, except for that one game in Pittsburgh where he was just awful. And he basically said it was Cam Pisano's fault, which, I don't know how much that's true or not, but this was the first time where I felt Blake Snell wasn't very good. I mean, he walked six guys, like you mentioned. That is very bad. You can't be walking six guys and expect to be good. And his ERA isn't terrible. That's because he's been giving a lot of quality innings, but it's so inefficient. It's hard to watch. And I know Blake Snell is super confident in his stuff. He said after the game, I felt good. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I, I feel good. I feel like I'm pitching good, but my results aren't, and that's all that matters. And he's right. I mean, you watch him. He looks like a good pitcher. I mean, he's got that really good 95, 96 mile hour fastball, nasty curveball, good slider, good changeup. Like Blake Snell should be getting better results than he is, but he's not throwing enough strikes. He's not throwing enough pitches in the zone. And to be an effective pitcher, you have to throw pitches out of the zone because if you're just in the zone all the time, like we've seen a lot with Chris Paddock, you're going to get hit. But Blake Snell's problem isn't that he's getting hit. He only surrendered one hit in this game. His problem was that he just doesn't throw enough pitches in the zone. And I, I personally would like to see him more fa- throw more fastballs at the letters because he's got a very high spin rate fastball that goes 95 miles an hour and with really good effective off-speed pitches that have sharp break to them, that fastball up is going to be a very effective pitch because it, it, it starts out looking like it's in the same spot as, say, his curveball or his changeup. When that curveball breaks down, the changeup breaks down, but the difference is those pitches aren't in the strike zone. So batters are just kind of like taking, you know, they're not expecting him to be in the zone, but if he can get that fastball at the top of the zone, it's going to make his pitches a lot more effective. And that's what I'd like to see a lot more from Blake Snow. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that can hurt a pitcher is just, I mean, obviously allowing hits on hits on hits, but 
that just means that you're putting the ball in a like in the strike zone. But the work, like one of the worst things as a pitcher is just giving walks away, is just giving free base runners. You know how much uh, we love free bases, but as a pitcher, I mean that's just the worst to just to walk six guys in less than five innings. That's just not not even giving them a chance to hit. That's just giving them free bases, and that's I mean that that can never be acceptable, of course, with that many walks. I mean, of course, a few guys, but if you're really struggling with your command, that's where people will start to get concerned and Snell's been having trouble with his command recently. Um, but I mean, the bats do not look great. My biggest concern right now is, is all about Blake Snell. I just hope that he can get his command back and just start pitching. Like, like, I mean, don't want to say like his prime when he want to Cy young, but like he did, did with the Rays, like he did in the playoffs last year. I'd like to see that Blake Snell. Right. And he won the Cy young only pitching 180 innings. That's why his Cy young award season was, Somewhat controversial, but at the same time, he had the 170 ERA in 180 innings, which is so impressive, and that's why he was able to win it. But I don't know. He, he needs to find a way to work a little bit deeper into games, and he, he's clear. I'm not, I'm not too concerned with him, but he needs to be better. He needs to be better. I mean, the Potters gave up way too much for him to not record outs in the sixth inning. That's just the way that I see it, especially when he only recorded five strikeouts in this game. He wasn't missing enough bats. He's missing the zone too much. But the offense in this game wasn't very good either. Only recorded six hits. They're able to get to Di Sclafani again. Di Sclafani has been absolutely incredible this year. It's back-to-back games where Di Sclafani allowed three runs to the Padres, and his ERA is at 240, if that puts it into perspective. I mean, that means if he were to pitch nine innings on average, he's going to allow 2.4 runs per, per nine innings. And in the past two games, he's faced the Padres, and the Padres have got three and runs. So they're doing a good job against him, but they were only able to record two hits against the bullpen, and they were only able to get one run, and that was the home run by Eric Cosmer, one of which of his RBIs in the at-bat was a runner strained by Di Scofani. So it was really only that one hit off of Selman. The bullpen just struggled, or sorry, the Padres' bats just struggled against the, the Giants' bullpen, and that was a trend that we saw for the rest of the series too, until the Potters kind of broke out at the end of the third game. So I want to see a little bit more from the Potters hitters. Now we saw it in the third game, but it was extremely concerning. Those, those things extended into the second game where the Potters lost seven to one. They saw Kevin Gosman for the third time this year, and they lost to Kevin Gosman for the third time this year. He's a great pitcher. I mean, I, I went into this game, pretty low expectations. Musgrove had been pretty bad his last two starts. He was not great again in this game. And Gosman had been really good his past couple of starts all season. He was good again last year. He's just a good pitcher. He's got a really good fastball, a gross splitter. Like, it's so good. But then the Potters got to the bullpen, and they couldn't capitalize on anything. And the Giants' bullpen has been the weakness of the team so far. Their bats are doing a lot better than people expected. The rotation has been good like people expected. But their bullpen has not been good. And to see the Potters not capitalize on getting Gosman out of the game after six innings is a little frustrating because the Potters were only able to scrap across one run. And when Joe Musgrove only goes five innings and lost four and runs, all of a sudden you're in a tough spot. Another thing, Tim Hill finally allowed a run. His ERA is now up to 1.72. His his string of being just so fantastic – was broken up. He still looked good. There were a couple of weak hits, but there are also a couple of hard hit balls 
in the center. Jake Cronenworth made a really nice stabbing play that definitely saved a runner too. And then to be old Chris Matt, he uh, he gave his his parting tour where he pitched two innings because the Potters were going to send him down the next day. He's done that a couple of times already. Shout out to you, Nabil Krismat, for uh, for taking one for the team here. He did allow a run. Um, he allowed two runs. One of them was unearned because Fernando Tatis Jr. made his league-leading 11th error. But I will say, Fernando Tatis Jr., his throws looked very good on Sunday. Looked very good. But what were your takeaways from this game on Saturday other than the obvious the Potters couldn't hit? I mean, the obvious the Padres couldn't hit. 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position really hurts. I mean, if you can't get a hit with the guy on second or third, you're not going to win the game. If you do, congrats. That that it will surprise me and everyone. But they just cannot hit this game. I mean, our one run was on a ground ball that Noel hit to the shortstop and Cronenworth ended up scoring. So our one run wasn't even on a base hit. It was just a ground ball. So that was unfortunate right there for the entire game uh but like you said i mean gossman you already touched on it but he's been phenomenal against us this year he's three and oh and all three of these wins have been against us um but he's just been a phenomenal pitcher against this lineup and musgrove he struggled against the giants last sunday as well but five innings eight hits four runs seven k's i mean his stuff's still looking nice uh he'll get his strikeout numbers but his ERA has gone up to three to three point zero zero. I mean, of course, we didn't expect him to carry his sub two ERA the entire year. Uh, of course, because he had the no hitter and then the other phenomenal starts. But I mean, he's been getting hit hard these last few games uh, that he's pitched. Um, he's not looking great. You already touched on it. Chris Matt went two innings uh, before he got sent down again. Um, but he's becoming that. I mean, late that down, down by a lot. Bringing the the innings eater for two innings or so. Uh, and t- I mean, I'm not worried about Tim Hill, of course. He's been getting us out of jams all year. No reason to be worried there. But Musgrove didn't look great. The bats were awful. And I mean, this would have been a big game to take game two. But of course, we did not. It's just all around, not a great game from the bats and the pitching staff. Right. And you talked about you being concerned about Blake Snell. I'm starting to get a little bit more concerned about Musgrove because what Musgrove did in his first couple of starts where he was so dominant was he was getting hitters to chase and going into the Dodgers game, he was continuing to get guys to chase. Then against the Dodgers, the Dodgers, of course, being a very disciplined hitting baseball team, they draw a lot of walks, their work counts. They weren't chasing at the Musgrove pitches off the plate. And that's what we've seen from the Giants in Musgrove's past two outings as well. And he's been nowhere near as effective. So, I don't know how Musgrove does it, but when Musgrove isn't getting guys to chase, he's going to need to find a way to get a little bit more effective because when he's facing really good teams in the playoffs, like the Potters are going to want him to be, he's going to have to find ways to get outs when batters aren't chasing out of the strike zone because when you face teams like the Dodgers and other teams in the postseason that are very disciplined hitters, that's not going to happen. Now, the Dodgers and the Giants are arguably the two most disciplined hitting teams in baseball. So you're not going to be facing those teams every single time, but it just seems like Musgrove needs to find a way to get guys out, not by way of the strikeout, because he's going to strike guys out. He still struck out seven guys in this game. So he was still getting the swinging and missing, but he wasn't able to get as much. And he had to be in the, he had to be in the zone a little bit more because he was getting behind in counts. And because of that, the giants were able to get eight hits off him 
in four and runs in five innings, which the Padres, they, they want him to be better than that. And to be in his defense, one of the runs he allowed was a Brandon Belt home run on a pitch that was probably six inches below the strike zone and Brandon Belt. He crushed it. You know, I'm not discrediting what Brandon Belt did, but it was a good pitch by Musgrove. So I think Musgrove needs to find a way to be a little bit better when he isn't getting guys to chase because the Giants hitters really want chasing. Yeah, I mean, Snell and Musgrove both aren't looking good right now. Um, I don't don't want to worry too much because I would love to think of our three-headed monster we have right there, but, man, it's not looking that like that at all. It's not even looking like a two-headed monster. Unless you want to count Weathers up there, but we'll get to Weathers and Paddock in a sec. But, I mean, both these guys, I mean, obviously every single pitcher is going to have rough starts, maybe a string of rough starts. Um, but the thing is, at what point do you get worried? Um, that happens to every single team, but – Snell had high expect had high expectations coming in. Musgrove had to fall off a little bit at some point. He couldn't pitch like he, he like he did in April all the entire season. But I mean, don't want to worry about it too much. Uh, just got to see it, see how they do the next start, and that could just wash it all away. Right, and you know it, it's small sample sizes of starts that uh, these pitchers need to find ways to, to rebound from. And I, I look forward to seeing Musgrove, who's Next start is probably going to be uh, scheduled. Going to be against the Cardinals, another pretty disciplined team. Be interesting to see. Is he going to be able to get guys out by pitching in the strike zone? Because they're, they're, they're like I said, they're they're a pretty disciplined team. They have a lot of switch hitters, so that'll be interesting to watch on Friday at Petco Park. So that that's something just to watch out for. Like I said, I'm not I'm not I'm not jumping off the Musgrove boat, but he's been significantly less effective his last three starts. And it's no coincidence. His his fastball just isn't that good in the strike zone. It's not. It's set up pitch for his off speed pitches. All right, third and final game. I mean, this was the great game. The Potters bats broke out. They scored four in the second on a two run home run from Jake Cronenworth, and then a two run home run from Fernando Tatis Jr. Both were absolutely crushed. Combined for nine hundred and ninety nine feet. So eight both combined for eight hundred. In 99 feet, I apologize. That is uh, what journalism majors do. They don't do math a ton anymore. But the thing that stood out to me in this game was that the Padres were able to get runs, not by the way of the home run. They are able to get base hits in hits that they weren't hitting well, as some of the Padres have not done all year. And it kind of felt like all the bad luck the Padres have been getting was just thrown out the window here in this game. I hope they saved some of it. Now, you're going to get those bad hits in quarters just because the outfield is so big. The outfielders are playing so deep. But it was a good sign. The putters were putting the ball in play, and they weren't elevating it too much. They weren't hitting on the ground too much. They were putting it in the right spots. And hopefully we can see a little bit more of that from the putters because they're fantastic. And you can talk about this game, and then I, of course, am going to hammer home something else about this game. I'm sure you can figure out what I'm going to talk about. And um, I mean, of course, this entire game was just phenomenal. Of course, we'll start with the hit-in. I mean, 11-1, I mean, <laughs> six for 15th runners in scoring position. This game was much needed. If we had lost this game going into Coors, I mean, that would have just killed our momentum. Uh, but everyone looked great. Tatis, two for five with two RBIs and two runs. Hosmer, three for five. Cronenworth, of course, you mentioned that bomb that went into the bay. Two for four. Caratini, two for five. So everyone on this team was hitting. Uh, the only person, the only position player that did not get a hit was Hassan Kim, who ended up getting an RBI on a sack fly. So, the entire lineup looked great. Yeah, of course, you already mentioned the two home runs. In the third inning, Myers had an RBI single. Four through seven, didn't get any runs. But in the eighth inning, Grisham had a great had a great two-run triple uh, to right to deep center. That was nice. Uh, and Jorge Mateo coming off the bench in the ninth, he had an RBI double. 
Uh, and then of course the Kim sack fly 11 runs. I mean, love to see that 16 hits. This entire team was hitting great pitching staff looks phenomenal. Paddock, he allowed four hits in three innings, but he looked fine. Didn't allow any runs. Weathers ended up getting the win three innings, one hit, uh, one walk, three Ks. Again, we've been talking about this all every podcast so far, uh, but Weathers has been looking phenomenal this year. And he's, a, of course, a young pitcher. He's still a rookie, of course, uh, but he just looked phenomenal. And he, like he has been all year. I'm loving what I'm seeing from this kid so far. Uh, and then Adams did his thing, came in uh, for the ninth and struck out two guys. Pomerantz uh, did allow two guys on and a run, but Drew Pomerantz, he's arguably our top, if not top two reliever so far this year. Uh, Pagan allowed two hits, got out of it, got out of the jam in the seventh. But overall, this was just a phenomenal game by, of course, the pitching staff allowing one run and the lineup as we avoided the sweep. Right. It was was a fun game to watch because the Padres offense finally broke out. It's funny because it sent off a really stupid tweet during the game. Like, hey, the Potters often, the Potters are way more fun to watch when they score runs. And for some reason got 27 likes. I was obviously being a sarcastic idiot on that tweet. And it's just funny because that tweet got 27 likes, but I put a lot of work into my articles and my podcasts. Let's get like four or five likes. And I'm like, ah, thanks guys. Really cool. But you know, it's what Twitter is. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not complaining or anything. But I thought that was really funny because the games are a lot more fun when when they do score. And this was really the only game they scored in other than that one inning. They scored in two innings and two games coming up to this. But yeah, they were a lot better. I just want to talk about Chris Paddock because I thought he was phenomenal in this game. Some of the pitches that the Giants hitters got on were, were really good hits. And Yastrzemski, their best hitter, in my opinion. I mean, statistically, not right now. But I mean, anyone who's watched a Giants game over the past three years would tell you he's been their best hitter over that time period. He got some hits on some really good pitches, and Chris Paddock was able to walk out as a couple of jams. He got a double play in, I know, the first inning. I think he got another one in the second inning. And then in the third inning, looked like he was getting into some trouble, and he was gonna, he was on a pitch count. He wasn't going to go too deep into the game because, of course, he was recovering from uh, COVID-19. That, that, I mean, it wasn't fully revealed, but he basically, that's what, he said he had so he hadn't pitched the baseball in 12 days and his arm looked fresh and he was throwing hard and he threw seven straight fastballs to Buster Posey and Brandon Belt and they put neither of them in play as he struck out both of them to waddle out of runners on the corners and one out in the third inning and he got fired up it was fun to watch and if that Chris Paddock shows up this Potters seems to be hard to beat because we know that Denelson Lamette's going to come back we'll see how he looks we'll talk about that in a little bit and then Ryan Weathers followed it up, and he looks really good, too. I mean, this kid is really fun to watch. And Ryan Weathers, man, I, t- I also tweeted this out, and it got less traction, which, once again, a more thoughtful tweet and just my my sarcastic tweet about the Potters being more fun to watch. Did better than it. I don't get it. But let's talk about how Ryan Weathers, he's been extremely effective both out of the bullpen and as a starter this year. And let me tell you, that is a great sign for the San Diego Potters because we've seen in recent years those pitchers that can swing and go both ways in the playoffs, which once again is where the Potters want to be, are so valuable to a team because you're really only going to use four starters in, in the playoffs because you have a lot of off days and you want to make sure you're getting your best guys out there. So, I mean, I had assumed that Ryan Weathers isn't going to start any postseason games. I mean, barring some horrible injuries. And if he does, it may be only be once. But 
What he can do is he can be a swing guy out to the bullpen because we, we've seen it a lot. We saw it in 2016, John Lester, um, a couple of other guys, they, they went out and pitched out of the bullpen and gave effective innings for the Cubs in their 2016 World Series run. We saw it in 2017 with the Astros. I know they cheated. I don't care. Uh, Brad Peacock was really good out of the bullpen. Charlie Morton was really good out of the bullpen. Lance McCullers, I'm pretty sure, even pitched out of the bullpen for them. And I mean, Brad Peacock, he's gone now. But Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers are very effective starters right now. And it's no coincidence that they're able to do both. In 2018, we saw with a couple of Red Sox, we saw Nathan Yavaldi be so good out of the bullpen for the Red Sox. He was fantastic. Joe Kelly converted for leaf pitcher after being a starter, was able to go to the bullpen and be effective. You saw it in 2019 with the Nationals. Patrick Corbin was so good out of the bullpen. And he started in every single series, too, for them. Saw Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer give innings out of the bullpen, too. We saw a bunch of other guys give innings out of the bullpen for them, too. And then we saw what the Dodgers, I, I know it sucks, but Dustin May, swing guy, very valuable for them. Tony Gotson was kind of a swing guy for them. And then most importantly, Julio Urias, he was so good out of the bullpen for the Dodgers, and he's been a pretty effective starter for them as well. So a guy like Ryan Weathers is going to be so valuable for the Potters down the stretch when they need innings at the starter spot or when they want another lefty reliever. I, I think Ryan Weathers could be a huge X factor for the Padres and possibly making a deep postseason run. Do you, do you agree with me on that point? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, all the names you just mentioned, everything right there was spot on. And of course, like you won't have a five-man rotation once we come to the playoffs. Um, but I mean, of course, whether it's lefty, lefty relievers are so valuable. Lefty starting pitchers are valuable. Um, but yeah, everything I, that you just said, I totally agree with. Having Weathers out of the bullpen slash even regarding some freak injury, God forbid that happened, of course, but... I mean, we can have him start a game if necessary. We can have him come out of the bullpen, pitch five, six, pitch four, five, six, whatever happens, or even later in the in the game. I mean, have him pitch the sixth or seventh inning before we get to Pomeranz and Melanson, uh, depending on, of course, how the game's going. But, I mean, yeah, Weathers will be huge in the playoffs. Uh, maybe. I mean, we could even see him start. I mean, of course, it depends how we end up going with a three or four man. Uh, of course, it'll probably be four, but Paddock, I mean – I'd rather have Weathers pitch a playoff game over Paddock. I mean, for now, yeah, right now I'd rather have Weathers pitch a playoff game over Paddock. But of course, we'll see how that ends up going throughout the rest of the season. Of course, anyone can get hot and anyone can get cold. But Weathers is just so valuable to this team right now and will be for the next few years. I'm going to forget that you said that comment about Weathers over Paddock, although Weathers has been better than Paddock. I mean, that's just me being a Paddock fan there. But yeah, they're, they're both they're both good. And I mean, I, I hope that none of them are starting playoff games and they can just be really effective out of the bullpen. Cause I mean, the way you saw Chris Paddock coming in for three innings and a lot of people have talked about it, how his long-term role with the Padres is probably out of the bullpen. And I'd say it's probably trending towards being that way. I don't know. We'll see, but um, it's a long season. They're going to need both those guys to make starts. And ideally when the postseason comes around, I'd like for the starting rotation to be, you Darvish still being good and still working deep into games. Blake Snell giving us five to six quality innings. Joe Musgrove striking out a lot of guys, giving us quality starts. And then hopefully Denelson Lamette or Denelson Lamette could move to the bullpen because, of course, you don't want to injure him. Give him, have him be that guy that only goes two to three innings. That would also be a ton of fun. Uh, I'm not sure how they want to approach that, though. Well, we'll see. Long, long time from that. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season, which feels wild because we'd already be halfway through the season. 
last season. All right, Devil and Wildcat. Uh, we just finished up the week, so it's time to give our Devil and Wildcat of the week. Ready to give the spiel the last two episodes. Devil of the week was a good Padre. Wildcat of the week was a bad Padre. And what what they can do to possibly become a devil, uh, make him transfer. If, if you want to go down that that terminology, but Bobby, give us your devil of the week. You are you are giving our devil. I give devil last week. Who's your devil? So yeah, my devil of the week will be Jake Cronenworth. He's just been hitting great these last uh, in this past week. Uh, of course, we had that series one against the Pirates. Uh, but right now, Cronenworth's on a five-game hit streak. Three of these last five games, he's had two hits, uh, had two RBIs on Sunday, and then two RBIs in the last game against the Pirates. And, of course, he had that base shot on Sunday against the Giants, but he's just been hitting the ball great so far this past week. Uh, and, I mean, the team as a whole, uh, regardless, I mean, except for Sunday, um, the entire lineup, of course, the last week really did struggle. Um, and Cronenworth was one of those guys who was just continuing to hit the ball Regardless of if he had one hit, two hits, he's been hitting the ball hard, and um, he's just been looking great, especially in the field. Uh, he's been making some big plays. Did see him play first base, I believe, is against the Pirates uh, when Hosmer had a day off. But Cronenworth's one guy who can just move around. He's a valuable lefty hitter. Uh, of course, even off the bench. I mean, of course, he has his second base spot, but he can come off the bench, be a lefty hitter late in the game uh, if that if that's if that's needed, of course. Uh, but just the defense from Cronenworth has been phenomenal. He's been making a lot of play, diving plays at second, which I love to see. And just his bat this past week has looked great. So for that reason, Jake, the rake Cronenworth is my devil of the week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good pick. He had multiple multi-hit games in the series against the Giants, including the home run. I mean, I think Fernando Tatis Jr. would have been a good pick too. But Cronenworth was a little bit better against the Pirates than Fernando Tatis Jr. was. So I, I think it's a good pick. It's probably who would have gone with as well. Uh, if you listen to our last episode and you watch the games this week, you can take a wild guess at who my wildcat of the week is. It's going to be none other than Tommy Pham. And you know what? I'll give credit to Tommy Pham. He did get a single in the game on Sunday against the Giants now, and so was everyone else. And it was a hard-hit single, so so good for you, Tommy. But the dude just looks lost at the plate. He can't hit fastballs. It's hard to watch. His bat speed has diminished severely. Uh, just even back from last year, but Tommy Pham, he only got one hit all week, and he started several games, played in five games. Just hard to watch, and I kind of feel bad for him, but at the same time, it was his decision to go to a strip club during a pandemic, and he wasn't didn't make smart decisions there, and he got stabbed outside a strip club. And I'm glad he brings a lot of valuable leadership to the team, so I don't want him off the team, but it's hard to watch him go up there and hit continuously, just basically feeling like you're giving them an out. I mean, of course, that's a great choice. Fam has, of course, been struggling a lot. Uh, we all know your thoughts on Tommy Fam as well as a lot of Padres fans. Uh, but he's a veteran, of course. Nice to have him in the clubhouse. And he does bring leadership, uh, whether it be great leadership. Sometimes he will make some bad choices, like you mentioned, uh, the strip club in October. But... Regardless, that was a great pick. Tommy Pham has been struggling a lot, uh, as we've been talking about all season. Um, but he's, I mean, one guy who I I would love the acquisition. I know you didn't as much, but at the time, I thought it was a great one, how the Padres really just turned around their uh, boom or bust hitting. Like, we got rid of, not got rid of, but traded away Renfro and Reyes, brought in Profar, brought in Pham, who are guys who just get on base. Um so that's why I was very excited to get him at the time. I know he's been struggling in his time as a Padre, but 
I'd love to see him pick it up. Of course, I'd love to see him keep that left field spot if he can pick up his bat. Uh, but regardless, great choice for the Wildcat of the week. Yeah, I wasn't upset that the Potters acquired Fam because I knew that he'd be a high OBP guy, which is you know what he's been, especially considering his batting average. And he changed the locker room. Like it wasn't a bad trade. Tommy Fam's been a bad player for the Padres. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me on that. And I was more upset that he traded Hunter Renfro, who I love. But Hunter Renfro doesn't exactly fit the team build the Potters have right now. He's off on a team. He got to play in the World Series. Tommy Pham didn't. And I'm pretty sure the Red Sox still have a better record than the Padres. They do. So, Best in the league. I don't, yes, they do. They're, they're 22 and 13, which a lot better than I was expecting them to be. But their pitching staff at some point will fall off. Um, at some point, Nick Pavetta is going to forget. Nick Pavetta is going to remember that he's a bad pitcher and start struggling. But until then, they're going to be really good. So uh, shout out to the Red Sox. They're third first place of a very tough division. But we're not, we're not here to talk about the Red Sox. We're here to talk about the Padres. And just a little bit of a standings update. The Padres at 19 and 16 currently would be in the wildcard game against the Milwaukee Brewers. They're a game and a half back in the San Francisco Giants. They entered the series, of course, half a game back. But Potters, they're right there. Still confident they're going to be better than the Giants at the end of this year. At some point, Buster Posey's going to remember that he's like 34. Evan Longoria is going to remember he's old. Vernon Crawford is going to remember he's not a very good hitter. Some of those other guys will remember they're not a good hitter. Kevin Gosman, at some point, is going to come down a bit from where he's at. And hopefully, be Sclafani too. So I, I can't like look at any Potters player and be like, Wow, this guy's way better than where he's going to be at over the course of the season. Maybe Eric Cosman. Yeah, Eric Cosman. Eric Cosman's that one guy. But I mean, you look at all the other guys that have been struggling for the Padres and they'll be better. So I'm fairly confident the Giants will get passed by the Padres at some point. For the moment, they look like a very good team. And listen, this team, their pitching staff's good. But at some point, I'm sure the Padres will pass them. They're just a much more talented team that I, I think is also very well coached. So uh, Dodgers, behind the Padres still, they dropped another series that's five straight losing series for the Dodgers, of course, starting with the four-gamer up in L.A., but of course the Padres were able to win. They've lost 15 of their last 20 games, Bobby. I mean, it's super fun to watch because we know how good the Dodgers have been the past eight years, and a lot of it has been haunting the Padres. But, I mean, looking at this, it's enjoyable. Now, I don't expect it to continue because I think I saw that nine of their 15 losses have been one-run games. And at some point, you're going to get lucky and start winning those games. It's just how baseball works. So I, it's not going to last very long, but uh, it's cer- I'm certainly enjoying it while it's happening because I know they're a very good team. They're a much better team than the Giants, that's for sure. The Dodgers also haven't played the Giants yet. So who knows? We'll, we'll see. But Padres, second place at the moment. They'll be traveling to face the Colorado Rockies this weekend, who are 12-22 and and have a negative 24-run differential, which is currently second worst in the National League, only in front of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And only three other teams in the American League are worse. So by run differential, the fifth worst team in baseball by winning percentage at 353, they are the second worst team in baseball, only in front of the Detroit Tigers, who are just absolutely horrific. So the Potters have to win the series. I mean, the the Rockies are a lot better at course field than they are on the road. They're ten and eight. And I just assume it's because their their hitters know how to hit at course field a lot better than all of their hitters. But 
Potter's got to walk in and handle business, at least take two out of three, and they're going to have their best three pitchers. Yeah, I mean, one of these guys who we'll get to in a sec, but John Gray, I mean, his strikeouts, his strikeout numbers have dropped a lot. He's usually a kind of high ERA, high strikeout number kind of guy, but, I mean, look at his ERA right now, 3.12. He's been looking great this year, uh, and he has had some games where he's been getting hit more than usual. Uh, his um start against the D-backs uh, two weeks ago was pretty rough, but besides that, he's been looking great this year. He's really only had two bad starts, uh, but sorry to skip ahead. He will be pitching on Tuesday, but that's one guy who the Padres, uh, I mean, never talked about acquiring, but he was one guy who were in kind of Padres Twitter talks to get him uh, before last season. Uh, never really in any serious talks, but he's an interesting pitcher whose strikeout numbers have dropped, but looking at his overall numbers, he's been a lot better, of course, with the Coors. I mean, a lot of pitchers struggle at Coors, uh, but he's been looking great this year so far. Uh, and for the first game, Antonio Senzatella, he's been getting hit hard this year. They've lost five of the six games that he's pitched in. Uh, the one that hit, that they did win, he went eight shutout innings, and he looked phenomenal. Uh, but he's had three starts this year with four or more earned runs. Uh, he's been inconsistent. Um, and even in the ones where he hasn't pitched well uh, or pitching better, uh, he just hasn't been looking great, hasn't been translating to wins, which it's not always on the pitcher, of course. Uh, of course, there's always could be some a lot of batting uh, issues. But he's a ground ball pitcher, and he's been getting a lot – of ground balls. So in course, hopefully we can just get, let the ball fly and just avoid double plays as much as possible. The last pitcher for them, Austin Gomber, he has a 6.35 year right this year. Of course, the quarters effect can be very tough for starting pitchers, but he started off the season. Great. I mean, his first four starts, he allowed uh, three out of the four, four of them were th- 200 runs or, or less. The other one was three, but since then he's been getting hit hard uh, in the 12, zero, uh, game against the Giants two weeks ago, he went one and two thirds with nine hundred runs, and he just got absolutely shelled. Uh, and lo- last Friday, he got hit pretty hard against the Cardinals. Did not look great there. A lot of two home runs, uh, and that was at Bush Stadium, so it wasn't at Coors, which of course is a huge difference for pitchers and batters. But I mean, no one here will bl- like will, will blow you away. John Gray has been their best pitcher out of these three so far this year. And he's one guy who's still very hittable. Uh, I mean, he leaves the fastball down the middle a lot or just in places where it's not hard to hit. But we can just get a, get a hold of his fastball in that second game in the series. I mean, we should be able to take this series pretty well. Hopefully take two out of three. Of course, that's we don't. It's a disappointment. Sweep would be great. And I do expect big things from the Padres lineup this series. And this is, of course, something that I love doing against divisional pitchers. And you did a good job of summarizing it for them on, like, you know, the seasonal level. But what I like to do is take a little, take a little bit of a deeper dive for these guys. And I look at their splits against the Padres. And you look at Antonio Sensatella. And I, of course, remember this from last year. Scott's had his, had, he's had the Padres number in 64 career innings. So not a small sample size. This is nine starts against the Padres in 15 total games pitched. He's got a 3.8 ERA and a 1.197 whip. So he's done his good job against the Padres. You've mentioned hasn't looked great so far this year. Hopefully the Padres can get to him. And then John Gray, who, like you said, has been a good pitcher so far. He started 20 games against the Padres. That's 121 total innings. He's got a 2.98 ERA. So he's really had the Padres number 
And in those 121 innings, 141 strikeouts. So he's, he's been a good strikeout pitcher. He's had the Potters number. Then Austin Gomber, he was the, the headliner in the really bad Nolan Arenado trade. Safe to say they're going to lose that trade for sure. And Austin Gomber, relief pitcher, who the Giant, who the who the Rockies want to make a starting pitcher. He doesn't have any starts against the Padres. He's pitched a little bit against them, but uh, I was just looking at his numbers in cores, and they're 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 actually pretty good. In 15 career innings, he's got 14 strikeouts and a 2.4 ERA and a 1.2 WHIP. So he's done well at the very hitter friendly park. But against the Padres, he's uh he's only got 1.2 innings in two relief outings, and he's allowed one run. So I, I don't put too much weight in that. So that, that that's my little bit of a scouting report on those guys. You know, Sensatella doesn't have the fastball; it's going to blow you away. He's got a pretty good slider. John Gray's got a 95 mile an hour fastball with a good slider, good curveball, and Gomber's got a really good curveball. He looked good against the Padres in his spring training outing. I was there at it because, of course. Why wouldn't I be there? Devil's talking Padres. So interesting series. They got they got three of their best guys going. So we'll see. Unfortunately, Herman Marquez, who was considered their ace, is having a horrible year. And he will not be pitching in this series. But I assume that he'll be pitching against the Padres when they come around and they come to Petco starting next week. And hopefully they can they can jump all over him. But that's a little bit of my scouting report, so hope you enjoy that. But anything else you want to talk about in terms of the Rockies? You want to? You want to? Have you noticed anything about some of their hitters this year, or no? Uh, I mean, Trevor Story he's been doing what he usually does, not hitting as many home runs this year, which has been surprising. McMahon has been looking phenomenal, phenomenal so far this year. He's been hitting the ball well, uh, hitting two sixty two with the four ninety two slugging. He's been looking solid this year, and I mean, one guy who's been falling off a little bit the past year or two. Charlie Blackman, he's only hitting 231 this year with two home runs, uh, 19 RBIs. Not awful, but not up to Blackman's standards. He's, I mean, he was one of my favorite players in the league the last few years before he fell off a little bit. Uh, but he's just always been a guy who I always wanted to fantasy. He's fun to watch, could hit, could steal, could field. Um, but he was just a, always a fun guy to watch. Uh, but he's been struggling a little bit this year. Uh, overall, this lineup is not... Phenomenal. Tapia has been playing great this year. He's more of a contact hitter, does have four home runs, but he has, I mean, he's been looking good so far this year. Uh, of course, can't take it. Don't want to take anything away from these guys. Course field is of course a lot different than playing anywhere else, but still got to put the ball in play and whatever happens it might ride, might fly. But of course the ball does travel out there. This lineup is nothing, not anything special, but I just love playing at Coors Field. It always makes for an exciting series. Of course, the Padres and Rockies had that one a few years ago. Uh, I believe it was 2018. If I'm wrong, please correct no, me. No, 2019, it was Father's Day. I assume we're talking about the series where the two comebacks in the highest scoring four-game series in baseball history. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Thank you for the correction there. But yeah, I, yeah, of course. I remember that was right after graduate high school graduation for it us. It was, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on that weekend. Of course, Father's Day, other stuff. Uh, but it was, I mean, that was just a phenomenal series. I just love playing at Coors. Uh, and again, already mentioned this a few times. I expect big things from this Padres lineup. I do not at all. I will, no room for error. Do not struggle this series. There's no, there is just no reason why they should. I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I We talked about it coming into the Giants series. 
you know, whether or not the bats wake up against the Giants who have a very good pitching staff, you know, that's fine. Not too big of a concern. I'm, I'm not too, too concerned because the Giants have a good pitching staff and the Potters weren't hot during that series. But coming off the game they had on Saturday and facing a very mediocre pitching staff in the Colorado Rockies, who is pitching at the most hitter-friendly ballpark by a landslide in baseball, I agree. The Potters offense has to wake up. And if they can use the series to build momentum and going into a very crucial series against a very good Cardinals team and then playing the Rockies again, then playing the Mariners, who, you know, they're having a good season so far, but they're not the most talented team in the world. You can really build some momentum heading into the middle stretch of the season. And that's what the Potters are going to want to do. But you're talking about Charlie Blackman. He's uh, he's the Coors troll. He's the prototypical guy at Coors Field, in my opinion. You look at it, not career 978 OPS, OPS in Coors Field and a 747 OPS out of Coors. So that that I think that speaks for itself. And the Rockies, like we mentioned, have struggled mightily outside of Coors this year. And I think that's a large part of it just because he is not good outside of Coors. And he's only been slightly above average this year at course. But yeah, Tapia story. I mean, I love I love watching Trevor Story play. I personally think he's the best shortstop in baseball. Gasp. I know you all think it's Fernando Tatis Jr. Story's been doing it for six years. Can't wait for him to leave the division. I, I'd assume the Rockies are going to trade him at the deadline. If not, they're idiots because they're not doing anything with him this year. And there's no way after watching how the Rockies treated Norn Arnado that he's going to want to stay with this dysfunctional and poverty franchise. So I said it. CJ Crone has also been off to a good start. He left the game earlier this week with an injury. I'll look for an injury update right now as we talk about it, but he's been a really good hitting first baseman for them. So that it'll be interesting to see how he rebounds from that. But just looking at the rest of their pitching staff in the bullpen, Daniel Bard, who was really good last year, has been really bad this year. A couple of other relievers have been okay. Michael Givens, he's got a 2.84 ERA. Robert Stevenson's got a 2.7. Jordan Sheffield, He's got a 1.59. Outside of that, nothing good. I mean, so if you can find if you find yourself in a close game, you're going to be seeing those guys. You'll be hearing those names. But outside of that, you got an opportunity to take advantage of some pitchers who are struggling. And facing those guys at Coors is certainly not ideal for them. They're also not striking out a ton of guys. And that's how you need to get outs at Coors is making sure the balls don't hit the bats because then the ball flies and there's massive gaps. So Potter's offense should have a field day. And you said we should win the series. I wholeheartedly agree. I'd be very frustrated if the Potters end up dropping the series as a series you got to win. And maybe you can jump in front of the Giants in the standings if they don't do so hot. Of course. And with Lamette, Darvish, and Snell pitching Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I mean, of course, I mean, those are our top three pitches right there. If they're all healthy, those are our top three guys. And I know Snell's been struggling, but he can pick it up this series. Of course, Coors is... Always tough, but um, and uh, just closing comments, which you're probably about to ask. I just wanted to ask your uh, your thoughts on two things about Chris Paddock. We've been seeing Paddock and Weathers pitch the same game a little bit, uh, as we saw on Sunday. Paddock went three innings, shut out. Weathers went three innings, shut out right after him. Uh, and after the game, Chris Paddock did say that he wanted to stop worrying about being the sheriff and just get back to being himself. What are your thoughts on that, Mr. Stern? Well, I mean, I want what's best for Chris Paddock, of course. And I mean, obviously, like I, you know, in 2019, I saw a lot of myself in Chris Paddock and, you know, a pitcher who has a fastball changeup combo and then a really bad off-speed pitch and a guy who likes to uh, 
pitch with a lot of energy. And when he's not on, he gets lit up. And when he's on, he pitches well. That, that, that's basically what I was in a pitcher. Like that was me. Obviously, I only threw 70 miles an hour. He throws 94, 95. So we're different in that aspect. But his persona was the sheriff. And I think that he's trying to get away with that, get away from that. Uh, I think that part of the spotlight was a little too big, too, too bright on him. And he's, he's trying to be Chris Paddock. So I wouldn't be too mad if that's a reason for me to not have to wear the huge cowboy hat to his starts anymore. I'm probably not going to complain about it. He's scheduled to pitch next Saturday, which is a game that I intend on being at. So you got to wear the hat. You still got to wear the right. hat. Right. Yes. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it makes me a little sad because I, I love the sheriff personality. Unfortunately, uh, he hasn't lived up to the billing that he put him out to be over his last, you know, 15 ish outings. So if he needs to get away from that to be a much better pitcher, then so be it. All I want is good outings from Chris Paddock for the Padres. Do you like the mixture of Paddock and Weathers pitching in the same game? Same game? Cause of course those two guys right there, I mean, those are two of our starting pitchers, of course, with Lamette and of course, Moreno's been out for, or will be out for the season. Uh, just want to see what you thought about that. Cause I don't want to see either of those guys go too deep. We've seen Paddock get hit harder, a little bit deeper into the game. Uh, as we saw at that game, we went to, it was just a home run of course, but nothing too bad. Uh, and Weathers, I mean, he's young. I don't want to see him go seven innings, uh, too much. I mean, unless he's dealing, let him go, but just wanted to hear your thoughts on that, on that right there. Yeah, well, first off, it was effective today. And I think the main reason they did it was because Chris Paddock had only not pitched a baseball in over 12 days. So I think that's the main reason they did that. But the Potters currently find themselves in a situation where they have six starters on the roster. They got you Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, Chris Paddock, Denelson Lamette, and Ryan Weathers. Those are the six. And you're going to want to pitch with a five-man rotation. Someone's going to be the odd man left out. And we've seen... So far this year, Ryan Weathers has been the guy to come out of the bullpen. And I mean, to be honest, I'd rather see Lamette come in after. I'd well, the, the, there goes my answer. I'd rather see Weathers coming after Lamette, kind of like what we saw against Pittsburgh. Let's just say he in Pittsburgh, and of course, was because Lamette was returning from injury. And you want to make sure Lamette is healthy. And I think for like the next month or so, you could see Lamette not going deep into games. And Jace Tingler said that he's going to be on a pitch count, pitching in cores. And one thing I just wanted to mention before we wrap up is that uh, the game on Monday, very good chance it gets postponed. There's some weather issues going to be in the Denver area. So might not be a game on Monday. Anyways, I, I mean, I think Weathers is going to be the guy coming out of the bullpen, but I don't know if it's going to be behind Paddock. I don't know if it's going to be behind Snell. I don't know if it's going to be behind Musgrove. I don't know where it is, but I think that Weathers being a multi-inning guy coming after one of those starting pitchers is going to be effective. I don't know who it's going to be, I don't think it's Paddock working too deep into the games because of his fastball is more effective. He proved in 2019 he can work through a lineup going on a third time. And if it looks like how it has this past two starts, I think it's going to be fine. His pitch count was a little too high going in the, going in the second time, and they started to hit him a little bit better, and he walked a guy against Arizona. But I, I don't know. It, it also it really depends on how Lamette looks and if Lamette can stay healthy because – if Lamette can be healthy and work deeper into games, then all of a sudden you're going to push him a little more and say, Hey, Paddock's pitching today. He hasn't been great working deep in the ball games. Be ready to maybe go two, maybe three innings today. But until then I'd lean more towards having him ready on Lamette starts. So maybe you have Weathers be ready to go one or two on Wednesday after Snell or something. Maybe they'll go Snell, Stammen, then Weathers, and then have him ready to go after Lamette on Sunday night baseball 
something like that. But I think Weathers gets pushed out to the bullpen eventually, and he's just going to kind of be rotating. And he he's like I said, he's going to be the X factor for the season as long as the rest of the rotation stays healthy. Great points. And of course, this will be a big series right here. Padres need to get the series win as they go into a big weekend series against St. Louis in Bush Stadium, as you already mentioned, Sunday night baseball. As of now, I mean, of course, everything can change. It's Lamette versus Kim is scheduled. I mean, that's a week from that's a week from now when we are recording. So anything could change. But that I would love to see some momentum going into that weekend series before our off day on Thursday. Yeah, of course. You want you want a great series here in Colorado. And thank God they have the off day coming after Colorado because I remember last year they didn't have the off day and then they went to to face the Dodgers, and that's just a nightmare. Having the off day because there's a big difference between playing at 5,000 feet up in Colorado and then coming back to Petco and playing at sea level. So thank God they get that off day to kind of adjust to the altitude change. Unfortunately, they don't get it going up there. So we'll see. Well, they might, depending on the rain. And it'll also be interesting. I mentioned this to our friend Cade today when we were texting about Lamette going. The off day on Monday, depending on if the game gets canceled and then Lamette possibly pitching in a doubleheader, could come to his advantage because like Tingler said and like I just previously stated, he's going to be on a pitch count. They didn't specify what it was going to be. They said hopefully he can get four to five innings. They don't know. But if the, if he's only pitching in a seven-inning game instead of a nine-inning game, all of a sudden those innings become more valuable and his start can be a little bit more effective only going four or five innings in a seven-inning game as opposed to a nine-inning game. So I think that's important to look at. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Devils Talking Padres. I thought this was a great episode once again. I don't want to say an important three-game series against Colorado, but first time playing these guys, just set the precedent. Let them know that you're here to stay and you're you're going to boss them around for the next couple of years that we went out and we we went out and got guys this offseason. We went out and spent money. They paid the Cardinals $50 million to take on the best player in their franchise history. So no more Arenado. Yeah, let them know. Nolan Arenado can't kill the Potters this series. That'll be maybe in the next, next one. Maybe That'll next. be in the next one, yes. Uh, so he can't do it in a Colorado Rockies uniform. So uh, hopefully the three games go as scheduled. Hopefully they can get three games in the series because the Potters, I mean, they're – almost 40 games into the season and they haven't faced the Rockies yet, which is pretty weird. So as we wrap it up this episode of devil's talking Padres, thank you all for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at DMster 19, follow Bobby at Bobby Murphy, 2000 to see all of our Padres and whatever content. Um, and then follow us at EVT underscore news. Cause this is an East village times podcast. See whenever we post articles, minor league season has started up. We're doing a farm recap friars on the farm uh, down on the farm. It's really great information that you might not be able to find so easily. We do it for you. All other content on Potters related issues out there too. So make sure to follow us at EVT underscore news to read our stuff on eastvillagetimes.com. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you on either Thursday or Friday or even Wednesday night. We'll see. Uh, But thank you for tuning in. Go Padres.